are listening to another episode of the Coach's Circle Podcast, brought to you by LifeCoachPath.com. Our goal is to explore all the different ways you can craft your own career in the fields of coaching, wellness, and mental health. Each episode features guests who offer an authentic perspective on their own unique career path and explores ways you might begin to craft your own. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit www.lifecoachpath.com. And now, here's your host, Brandon Baker. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Coaches Circle podcast. Today's special guest is Julie M. Simons, a licensed clinical social worker based in Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Julie. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. I'm I'm going to start off this episode in a bit of an unorthodox manner, simply because um, there is something that I read on your website that really touched me. And I wanted, if you don't mind, it's just a one sentence readout that I wanted to share with the audience. Um, and it's on your, it's on your, my story page. And this is what you say. I feel the kind of security, satisfaction and purpose I used to believe was reserved for those born into families free from trauma and drama. Um, and I found that so powerful, the idea that a life free from trauma and drama was reserved for a certain set of people. Um, and I guess we can get into this a little bit later, but um, I just wanted to start off with that. And I wanted to invite you to share with the audience um, more about you and, and you know, given that backdrop, how mm -hmm. your own life experiences led you into a career um, in the world of psychology. Mm, yeah. Well, I was trained to be a therapist from probably as <laughs> as the age of when I learned to speak. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, my parents were both uh, war veterans and had their own trauma. And so they had a lot of their own wounds and we know, you know, family systems that obviously affects our childhood. And so, yeah, so I was very, um, just instinctively and, and conditionally um, designed kind of to help other people. And so I always knew that this was something I wanted to, to do in some way, shape or form. And so I actually had my master's when I was 23. I was one of the youngest people in oh, my class. Nice. Yeah. And started um, offering therapy in a private practice setting starting when I was about 25. And so, so I've been doing this a long time and just have always felt very passionate about helping people and also very curious about how many different ways there are to approach that, that general intention, right? There's just so many things out there and so many ways of, of helping people and being helped. And it's always been just such a fascinating field for me. And as I said in my website, um, I, I had a lot of losses. My dad died actually uh, before I graduated high school, right before. Mm. And he had been sick with cancer for many years and had some pretty significant post-traumatic stress from being in combat. And um, 
And so I, I came at this with my own wounds and as I think we often do try to work those out um, in the process of helping others by extension, helping ourselves. And so, so yeah, I'm excited to be at a place in my life, both personally and professionally at this point to feel like the work I've done has really solidified in me as a person and also in what I offer other people. Absolutely. Yeah. What I, what I sometimes mention is that, you know, for anybody who was facing, you know, trauma or significant distress or any kind of, you know, very disrupt, you know, some kind of disruptive event in their childhood, whether it is a death of a loved one or a divorce or, or anything of that nature, you're kind of thrust into the field of psychology, whether you like it or not. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and it's not only, it's not only helping others in your nuclear family or immediate family deal with that loss or deal with that stress, but it's primarily dealing with your own, right? Um, and so that is kind of an unfortunate uh, effect. And I mean, the, the reason why the passage that I read was uh, really stood out to me is because when I was growing up, I mean, I'm not going to get into my story too much, uh, but when I was growing up, I shared that exact sentiment. And it's actually... It's actually a little maybe difficult for for those who, you know, maybe no nobody had a perfect childhood, but for those maybe who had a more, uh, well, less stressful, less disruptive childhood, um, you know, it's it might be a little difficult for them to fully understand the idea of of what you said, where you know, um, feelings of well being might be reserved for those that haven't gone through it. But it is definitely a a sometimes conscious or maybe even unconscious belief that that you know people have when they do face those those events so um yeah i'm, I'm glad that you that you just uh, gave us a little bit of that background and um i think it makes you uniquely suited to do this kind of work right is that you did mm-hmm. have to face a lot of those experiences mm-hmm. um, and i i wanted to talk about your work specifically and i know that kind of two pillars of kind of the the science behind the work you do are EMDR and um, and CBT, and for anybody unfamiliar with what those mean, uh, EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, and CBT I feel like is more familiar to most people, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, you know, we have talked about CBT uh, a few times on the show, so I feel like it's um, quite familiar to anybody that is a fan of the show, but I wanted to discuss with you a bit more about EMDR because... It is not something that you would find every therapist offering. It's it's definitely, I mean, it, it's out there, of course, but it's not something that it's exceedingly common. Um, and so I wanted to invite you to just explain to the audience more about what EMDR is, why it's effective, and what kinds of, um, you know, challenges or psychological uh, issues it's most effective at, at working with. Mm. Yeah, EMDR is a really, it's a fascinating approach. And I've been doing it probably over 15 years now. So I got in somewhat on the ground floor of EMDR. Like I said, I've always been curious. So I was always looking out for what kind of new approaches were out there. And this is one that's really stuck because I've seen such powerful shifts in people, sometimes dramatically so. And 
It does have a cognitive behavioral foundation in the sense that it the protocol for EMDR is that our experiences, we make meaning out of our experiences, right? We interpret them and create a narrative out of what we experience. And EMDR is a way of being able to harness that interpretation and to use that kind of as a launching pad to to apply this eye movement, which now we know, and the founder of EMDR, her name is Francine Shapiro, she said that if she could rename it, she would, because it's mm-hmm. not just eye movement, right? It's, it's considered bilateral stimulation of the right and left hemispheres of the brain. And it's a fairly simple approach. We don't know exactly, at least to my understanding, what exactly creates this this shift or this capacity to bypass in some way this analytical um, part of the brain to be able to access more of our emotional, raw emotion. But they think that there is something that mimics REM sleep in the sense of eye movement or that that rapid movement um, of the eyes, or it can be done through tapping or through um, they have buzzers where you can use um, buzzing to do this bilateral stimulation. But we do know, and I've I've witnessed it many, many times, is you can be talking through something with a client for, for quite a long period of time, but introducing EMDR just, it's almost like opening a lens. Like if you're looking through a telescope and you're only seeing one piece of your vision, right? This little, through this little hole. And the EMDR process seems to widen that lens where the brain has access to new ways of interpreting old experiences. Mm -hmm. And, and that shift can just be um, quite amazing, quite amazing to be part of and to experience. So, um, so I still use it now. Originally it was used only with war veterans because they found that talk therapy alone was um, actually making, I think the statistic was 30% of war veterans actually worse by trying to talk through trauma. And the EMDR, uh, when they used it, was was really helpful. And so they thought, wow, we're really onto something here. And so they they also were able to apply it in other contexts. And I've used it with trauma. I used it for many years with trauma. And these days I use it probably more with entrenched belief systems. So in using the CBT methods, when I'm working with someone and they have a a belief system that's just not responsive to some of the traditional CBT methods that I bring in the EMDR and often that will kind of wiggle that belief. It just, again, opens the space for a new interpretation. So, Right, right. Yeah, you know, doing this show, what I have found, maybe one of the most fascinating recurring themes that I have found to be just, um, I think, really illuminating for anybody looking to understand this kind of work is so many techniques in, in psychotherapy and even coaching aim to do what you just said to bypass the conscious mind to bypass that kind of uh kind of the the, the front of our mind right um mm-hmm. i guess it would be the prefrontal cortex right if you want to get um into some neuroscience there but 
Yeah, so much of therapy is aiming to bypass that. Now, whether it's the EMDR, whether it's hypnotherapy, which I think it very explicitly um, is is aiming to bypass it. But even things like, I think, art therapy, which I know you offer as well. Um, I've, I've spoken to therapists offering, um, you know, all kinds of different techniques like Santre therapy as well. It's adding like a somatic element to the work. Um, and, you know, obviously meditation is, again, very explicitly trying to maybe bypass some of that more conscious thought. So I just find it so fascinating, really, how using different techniques... And as a coach or therapist, you have to decide which of these techniques you feel most drawn to, maybe more than one. Um, but so many of these techniques are really trying to get at some of the same thing, like like tapping, like EFT tapping as well, um, uh, is, is trying to achieve that, that same end goal of kind of bypassing that conscious mind. So anyway, I, I just thought I just thought that was such a fascinating kind of common denominator among so many different strategies that are being used by therapists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I think we're all and, and there's not one approach, right, that works for everyone. So like you said, it's, it's, it's exciting and complex to be able to have so much available that sometimes works with one person doesn't work with another. And sometimes it's a combination of things. And so it's that blend of art and science that I, I think, um, can be a way of really helping people in a holistic way. Mm -hmm. All right. So I wanted to ask you um, also on, on your website, you mentioned that uh, there's a mention of high-speed therapy. And mm -hmm. um, I haven't seen that term used before. So for anybody curious to know what that means, I, I wanted to ask you, how does that actually work in, in practice? What is high-speed therapy? Yeah, I kind of adopted that from David Burns and my training in CBT is, is based on his work, Dr. David Burns, who wrote Feeling Good many, many years ago, but he's still, um, he's still kicking and very vibrant. <laughs> and actually, he just released a new book uh, coming out, I think, this week. And so he, um, part of his work blended with uh, the Feeling Good Institute, which is based out of um, California and connected with Stanford University and their approach is called team CBT and team is an acronym for testing empathy agenda setting and methods and a lot of their um, agenda setting piece is addressing resistance uh, which is not the traditional sense of resistance where we're kind of blaming the client for not getting better, so to speak, but really understanding and, and aligning with how important some of these uh, belief systems are, how they've served us and, and really being able to, to approach um, people's struggles from a place of self-compassion and, and, self-empathy and when we can kind of align with the side of the brain so to speak that's really wanting to hold on to some of these belief systems that that don't serve us that in fact it it really propels the therapy forward in a way that that is is quite uh, amazing that that really creates this high-speed therapy people mm -hmm. get better much 
quicker. They, um, they feel much more empowered in the changes that they're making. And I've, you know, I, I mean, I've been doing this 25 years, so I've used lots of different approaches and this team CBT, again, I just see changes so much quicker than I saw working with people for, for years and not seeing the kind of changes that I'm seeing in using these kinds of techniques and particularly this agenda setting piece that really helps shift that just inclination to want to hold on to and keep thinking the things we've always thought. Right, right. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So that was, I think, a kind of a bird's eye view of the of the therapy work you're doing. I know you're obviously doing more than what we've discussed, but um, I, I wanted to also uh, mention your your life coaching work as well. And, you know, obviously that is more the center of the focus of the show. And um, I wanted to ask you if if life coaching in your practice was something that you envisioned from the very start, that you wanted to offer that? Or is it something that you started incorporating later on because you saw perhaps a need in your clients that wasn't being met where they wanted to take their mental health or their goals or their life in general to that next level and traditional therapy work was kind of not sufficient for for that goal. So which one of those two would you say was more the reality? Well, I never saw myself getting involved in life coaching. Honestly, mm-hmm. I, I, I was a little bit of a therapy snob in the sense that I, <laughs> you're not did alone. Not, don't worry. <laughs> right? I, I had a lot of judgments on life coaching and really um, didn't understand it, you know, and so this is a little bit shocking to me, the, the shift that's happened for me in the last, last few years. And and truth be told, it wasn't a need in my clients that I was seeing. I, I felt quite fulfilled in my work and my clients were, you know, moving at a pace that, that felt uh, productive for, for them and me. And, and as well as bringing on when I did the, the team CBT, you know, that was, was especially powerful. It, it, it was really a need in myself. I, I found that I, um, that talk therapy for me in my personal life, that it was a very important part of my healing. And, and I would say a stage of of healing that was quite necessary for me. And I think for a lot of people, we need a space to be able to talk about what we've been through and to, to be heard and, and, and validated. And I think that that's, that's a necessary requirement in, in all therapies, but it's, but I found in my experience, it's not sufficient always for change to really happen. And in my case, there was a point at which I just, I felt that something was lacking. I wasn't really moving in my own personal growth in the way that I really wanted to. And so I just happened upon um, some podcasts and kind of expanded my, my own mind around, oh, there's some other things out there. Let me kind of, you know, consider some new things. And I I became exposed to uh, Brooke Castillo's podcast, and I was just blown away by how concise she was and how she took these concepts that are so heady and so so technical and so much jargon, right, mm-hmm. in our field, and just was able to present them in a way that was so palatable to my mind and kind of easy to 
to understand. And I thought, wow, this is really powerful stuff. And so I, I kind of, you know, took a right turn and, and started getting into it and, and have found it to be especially helpful in my own life. I felt like it, it accessed my own, what I call post-traumatic growth, right? That to really be able to take what I'd been through and what I'd learned and, and to use that to, to really build my own resiliency and to, to give myself credit and to see the positive, um, pieces of this that I think sometimes psychology, we get a little um, kind of uh, dug into seeing pathology. Absolutely. And, and so I love the idea of seeing the positive aspects of things and really acknowledging our, our post-traumatic growth. And so does that answer your question? It does. It does. And I can hear, (laughs) I can hear the ongoing evolution in your voice. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and well, I, I for one, am glad to hear that that over time your your practice has evolved to incorporate coaching because you're right. There's still a lot of skepticism even within those in the in the kind of general psychology community. There's a lot of skepticism about about uh, the merits of coaching. Um, but I mean, from I guess a personal perspective, it, it's it's a little confusing as to why. Because you're right, you know, psychology and and therapy in general historically have been more about diagnostics and what's wrong, what's wrong with the person, um, and I mean that's kind of the basis for for the DSM as a whole. And so coaching kind of looks at it in the exact opposite. It's more what can go right, what can be even better. Mm. And so, I mean, just from there alone, I see no reason why both of those approaches aren't valid. I mean, I'm not saying that psychotherapy is not valid. Of course it's valid. But I think the human mind is so much more complex than just here's all the things that can go wrong. There's a lot of room from, uh, quote unquote, you know, typical or normal, whatever word you want to attach to it. There's a lot of room between that and ideal and self-actualized. And so that space, that gap, is where coaching lies, right? And so there's there's that viewpoint. There's the other viewpoint that, you know, psychotherapy is typically backward-looking and coaching is forward-looking. And I think that's maybe a little too oversimplistic, but um, it does neatly capture a lot of the differences between the two approaches. Um, and so, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I just wanted to to talk about how you were able to incorporate and why you were able to incorporate coaching in your work. Do you, do you find those distinctions, I guess, um, meaningful or accurate in your own work? And if not, how would you characterize the difference between the two? Yeah, no, I think you really nailed it. And, and I think it's easy and, and seductive to oversimplify, but I think it is, um, everything that we learn, I think we can kind of take in, it's like a recipe, right? We're adding ingredients. And I, I think where we're, we can sometimes um, uh, stagnate is when we get too rigid in our own thinking, right? We're, we're not allowing new ingredients, right? Just because we haven't tasted something mm-hmm. before doesn't mean it's not something we might like or or want to consider and I, I don't know if you're familiar with Scott Miller's work but one of the things that really um, impacted me profoundly is he um, I think he actually did this research or maybe he quoted it but uh, something I heard many years ago probably when I was coming 
uh, probably like maybe between 15 and 20 years into my practice and things were feeling a little bit mm, stale in that sense. You kind of coast a little bit and, and, but I felt a, a great deal of competency in the work that I was doing. Finally, <laughs> like, right, it took right. 10 years to, to actually think, I think I know what I'm doing maybe. Right. It really does. And I heard a statistic from him that therapists who the longer they've been doing therapy, that actually the less efficacy there was in the clients of these therapists. And that just blew me away. Wow. I was like, oh my gosh. So I can be like our, our, our self-interpretation of our competency goes up, but our actual efficacy goes down. And I thought that was so fascinating and so mind-blowing. And it had such an impact on me. I actually um, went out and um, spent a couple of days in a training of his in Chicago to learn more about what he had to say, because it really helped me to realize, oh, you know, there's just so much more to learn. And, um, you know, the, the, the stew is not cooked, right? There's mm. still more ingredients. And so I, I just love what both therapy and life coaching have to offer. And like you said, I think it's, it's both. I don't think we can look forward without, really attending to where we've been, but I don't think spending all of our energy in where we've been is going to help us move forward. So I think there has to be this, this combination of being able to, um, to acknowledge and take from our past what's important for us and to kind of own the narrative of our past and to also create a new narrative of the future that we want and to be able to have tools to do that and a guide sometimes often to to help us walk forward right yeah see this is what i love to hear is a a therapist living the work that she's trying to help her clients live as well you know we it's often talked about in <clears throat> in therapy sessions and and coaching sessions not to be mentally rigid and to be flexible and um, to kind of take what comes. And uh, I think you're right. A lot of those in the psychology field um, that kind of shun coaching and, and think that it's, I don't know, bogus or, or redundant or whatever the case may be, I think they might be falling prey to some of those same, that same rigidity maybe that they, uh, that they see in some of their clients. So um, yeah, I, I thank you for, for giving more of your background on your thoughts on that. And I wanted to kind of end the show by asking a question that I ask most guests that come onto the show. I think it's an interesting one because, you know, most people that are looking to get into this field are pretty aware and pretty much in agreement as to what the positive side of helping others in, in a coaching or therapy capacity are. Now, whether that's a aha moment or a transformation, I think everybody kind of understands what can go right. But my question to you is, what has been maybe the most challenging aspect of your work? And um, that could be to do with business side, the client side, education side, maybe even a personal struggle that you've had. And um, how have you worked to overcome that throughout the years that you've been working? 
Mm, boy, that's a big question. It is. Um, <laughs> that's why I like to end the show on it. <laughs> it's a good one, though. Um, I think the way I'd answer that is that that empathy is, I think sometimes for me, okay, I'm going to speak kind of first person. I think for a long time, I believed that empathy was something you had naturally. But I've come to believe that it's a skill and it's something we can learn and we can fine tune. And I think it's undervalued and under respected as a skill. And so I think that's been one of the the challenging pieces is how to be able to to really skillfully be empathic both to others um, personally and professionally as well as to myself without um, slipping into kind of indulgent empathy where Mm. we get kind of caught in um, our own sorrow. It's almost like a pool of negative emotion that, that may be misinterpreted as empathy when it's actually kind of keeping us underwater, so to speak. So I think this is um, an important, has been a very important piece for me. I've learned a lot of really powerful empathy skills through learning team CBT. Dr. Burns actually has a book on, he calls it the five steps of effective communication. And, and I love it because it really drops us into both the, the art and the skill of empathy. And I, and I think sometimes life coaching, um, undervalues or, or it seems like that is not something that's valued, at least in my experience, and it could be in certain schools of life coaching, but I think there's a way to be able to bring in empathy without kind of getting caught in the other person's pain and to hold the space for empathy and also be an effective life coach or therapist or healer in whatever capacity. So I'm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think exactly what you're talking about. I mean, well, before this podcast, I interviewed um, quite a number of coaches all across the country. And the very thing you're talking about, not getting caught up in your client's struggles, um, was a huge uh, problem. It, it was a huge challenge for, for coaches. And I definitely think that coaching in general is very aware of, of kind of the pitfalls of that. And um, doesn't mean it's easily solved by any means, but but uh, I, I think you're right. It is something a lot of coaches and therapists contend with, and it's also important to not bring in your own biases as much as possible because the um, the the challenge that you think your client might be going through is sometimes not really the one they're going through, and because you might have experienced something maybe similar, you just kind of assume, and you feel that you're being you know, empathetic to, to their situation. But in fact, you're, you're just kind of filling in a lot of the blanks without giving the client the opportunity to show the unique nature of their situation. Um, and so I think that's right. kind of a, a related 
uh, challenge that can often, you know, befall a lot of, a lot of coaches. So. Yeah. And I think it's easy to assume an agenda. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a big challenge too, is to assume we know what the client wants or needs and where they need to go and really being able to, to offer an invitation, right? What is it that you're really wanting help with today? How do you um, see me helping you? What would you most want out of the time that we have, right? Because like you said, sometimes we have, oh, this is definitely what they need to be working on today. But what they actually say they want help with is something completely different. So I, yeah, that's a challenge. And I think it's a skill. I, I think it's something that we can learn and practice and um, yeah, powerful. Absolutely. All right, Julie, this was this was really, really informative. Um, I want to give you a chance to tell listeners where they can find you and where they can find more about your work. I know you also created a six-week course, so if you wanted to quickly mention that as well for anyone interested. Yeah, absolutely. My website is juliemsimons.com, and so you can learn about me and my practice on my website, and I have created a course. It's a six-week course. It's called Chaos to Control, How to Get Your Brain to Stop Spinning, and I offer, I'm currently offering it a couple of times a year, and I'll be offering, I think it's launching in October, and um, I'm excited about it. I help people uh, learn how to understand their mind, to manage their mind, to go from their kind of deliberate cognitive process to more, uh, uh, I mean, their default process to more of a deliberate process and Mm -hmm. give them lots of uh, worksheets and tools. So, yeah. Right. Okay. So is that, just to be clear, is that course kind of uh, virtual, like natively virtual, or will it be maybe going to in-person once that's safe to do again? The course itself is all online. Okay. Uh, My practice has been remote the last few months, but I'm probably going to be going back to in-person, but I do see people all over the state of Florida. Great. All right. Perfect. Well, Julie, that was really great. Well, thank you. I I really appreciate your time, and um, I think... Anybody that wants to get into this field, um, maybe occupying some of those same niches or same uh, particular challenges that we talked about are going to get a lot out of everything that you've shared. So thank you so much. And I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Coaches Circle podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to our show just as much as we enjoyed making it. If you'd like to check out a complete listing of all of the episodes on our show, head on over to lifecoachpath.com slash podcast. See you on the next one.